in our Advent series called Getting Ready for the King by looking at the Advent season through the eyes of Isaiah. I'm getting eyes from other people telling me the KFC is supposed to be dismissed. So, Kids for Christ, Children's Worship is dismissed at this time. Last week, we looked at Advent through the eyes of Isaiah the prophet from the Old Testament, who was telling about Jesus as he was going to come and save the people from sin and bring them out of captivity and exile. And so here it is, it's time. It's time for the kingdom of God to arrive and Jesus is on the scene. And so we're going to hear today to start out from the forerunner of Jesus, who was the one that Isaiah talked about who would come and be that voice crying in the wilderness. So let's hear today from John the Baptist. Hello. My name is John. But most people call me John the Baptist. I'm the guy that people have been talking about lately. You see, I'm on a mission, and it's unlike any mission I've ever heard of. It began in the 15th year of the ruler, Tiberius Caesar. Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and that viper, Herod Tetrarch, ruled in Galilee. Now, my father, Zechariah, was a priest, and he always told me to listen for the voice of God. Sometimes he would tell me an amazing story about him and an angel and me. And it always ended up with him telling me, God has a plan for you. You must listen for the voice of God. Thirty years later, and I was still listening. But something told me, and I wasn't sure at the time, told me to get away from it all. So I went out into the desert and I began to pray. And suddenly, it all became clear. The word of the Lord had come upon me. I was to be the forerunner of the Messiah. John the Baptist uh, did not suffer an identity problem. He clearly knew who he was and what he was called to do. He clearly knew that he was called to be the forerunner of the Messiah who would come to save the world from sin. He clearly knew who he was and what was his mission. His mission was to point people to the Anointed One, to Jesus. And so he followed in a long tradition of other voices like him from the past, 
like Isaiah from last week. Other voices coming from a wilderness who were sent by God to declare the truth of God to His people. Clearly knew that He was not what everybody seemed to be expecting. He knew He wasn't what the Pharisees and the teachers of the law that came to check Him out. He knew that He wasn't what they were expecting. He knew He wasn't what the people of God were expecting in a forerunner who would announce the arrival of the Messiah. And He also knew, probably all too well, that He wasn't exactly what His father Zechariah had been expecting in a son. Now, I admit, I'm a little unconventional. I don't even look like my dad or those other priests remotely. And the rumors, they're true, that I've been known to eat locust and honey from time to time. I began to preach, and it wasn't my appearance that drew the crowds. It was my message. Repent! For the kingdom of heaven is near. After me will come one more powerful than I. The thongs of whose sandals I am not even worthy to stoop and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So I preached that message, and the crowds, they came. So it did not surprise me when the Pharisees and the Levites came and began to ask me questions. They asked, are you the Christ? And I told them immediately, I am not the Christ. So they questioned, who are you? Are you Elijah? No, I answered them, I am not. One asked me, are you a prophet? No, I replied. So finally they pressed on and they asked, who are you? Tell us so that we can go back to the ones who sent us. What do you say about yourself? I thought for a moment, and I asked God to help me with my response. And then the words of the prophet Isaiah came to me. And I said in a loud voice, I shouted out, I am the voice of one calling from the desert. Make straight the way of the Lord. If you haven't yet, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to John the first chapter. Let's set the scene here in John the first chapter. The Apostle John, who wrote the book of John, often uses a phrase that he uses here in verse 19. He talks about the Jews. He uses that that two-word phrase, the Jews, in verse 19 there. He uses that to refer to the religious authorities, especially the religious authorities in the city of Jerusalem. And that meant, that was his sort of way of saying, those were the religious authorities who were hostile to Christ who were hostile to his claim to be Messiah. And so we see here that John emphasizes 
that idea earlier in this chapter in verse 11. He doesn't use the word uh, the Jews. He doesn't use that phrase there. But he says in verse 11 in that same chapter of John 1, he says, He came to His own. That's Jesus. He came to His own. And His own people did not receive Him. They were hostile to the arrival of the kingdom of God as it came on God's terms. On their terms, fine. No problem. Hunky-dory. But on God's terms, in the weakness of a baby, in, in the flesh, flesh and bones, for the arrival of the Messiah, in a, in a way that is weak, in a stable, that didn't make sense. To that kind of Savior, the authorities were hostile. Had they known the baby would have died, would have made it even worse in their minds. The Messiah coming as a baby and dying as a man did not compute with their expectations of the Anointed One. So because they had certain expectations, certain standards for what the Messiah would look like and what the Messiah would bring when the kingdom came, they went to check out this John out in the wilderness. This John who eats locusts and honey and who is dressed like a crazy man. His reputation became so well known that his, miss, his mission, his message, became his name. John the Baptizer, they called him. And so there was a delegation that was sent to investigate John, and it was composed of, as we see here, priests and Levites, as it says in verse 19. Priests and Levites. And there were probably some Pharisees in that group, we get that from verse 24, where it says that they were the ones sent from the Pharisees. So the, they were probably from the Sanhedrin, which is the ruling council of all of the Jewish world. And because the Apostle John specifically lists the Levites here, that delegation might have included a security officer or two. Might have included some folks from the temple guard to come and check out this John the Baptist. So basically, let's set the scene by saying that John the Baptist, crazy, locust-eating, animal-skin-wearing, loud-mouthed guy out in the desert who is preaching, is having lots of people who are listening. And the religious police, the religious police show up to assess the situation for the ruling council. So as... So as John the Baptist is approached by representatives of the Sanhedrin who are there to check him out, he was well aware of the stakes. He understood what was going on at the time. He knows why they're here, and they say to him, verse 19, Who are you? Who are you, John the Baptist? It is that single question that will occupy our thoughts this morning. Who are you? How do you answer a question like that? We men, we often answer a certain kind of way. We answer with our name and our job. Maybe where we've come from. We talk about it as if we're defined 
by the expectations of others' views of success. First thing you ask a man when you meet him is, hey, what do you do? For women it might be, do you have any kids? We've allowed ourselves to become people who answer that kind of question based on another's expectation of us. Who are you is the kind of question for which we seek answers our entire lives. We are people constantly searching for a satisfactory answer to that question of our life's purpose. And so during the the hustle and bustle of a busy season like Christmas, with so many expectations laid on that season, so many responsibilities that are coming at us at 100 miles an hour, the question, who are you, is especially relevant. Are you the emotionally stressed parent? Because I know I've been. The emotionally stressed parent who doesn't know how in the world you're going to foot the bill for the presents you're expected to buy for all the various people in your life. Who are you in the Christmas season? Are, are you perhaps a widow whose best memories of the Christmas season seem a distant shadow of the loneliness that you now feel? Are you the grandparent whose adult children don't seem to be able to make the sacrifice to be around in a time when we have expectations about togetherness? Who are you during Christmas? Are you the occasional churchgoer playing games with a relationship with Christ because you know you're supposed to, but you don't have the motivation to move forward? You don't want to take that next step of commitment. Are you perhaps a single parent who can hardly find the time to put up a Christmas tree, let alone any decorations, because you're burning the candle at both ends? If you're like me, you may feel like you're sort of buckling under the weight of parties you're supposed to throw or to be at, boxes that are still left to be wrapped, special concerts, outings, events that you're expected to attend, the crippling amount of stuff to clean up and work to do before you can even think about getting to all those things. In the middle of a busy season, when we are supposed to be expecting the coming of the kingdom, who are you is an important question. And, and are we, are you being defined by a set of expectations that have little to do with the real reason we were created and the reason we've been placed here on earth in the first place. And if so, then that means that Christmas, the Advent season, a time that is meant to prepare hearts for the coming of Christ, instead easily becomes a season where the world squeezes us into its mold of expectations. And instead of of rest and worship and meaningful reflection on the coming of the Christ child, it can easily become a time when we lose our bearings with who we are 
So who are you the Christmas season coming up here? Who are you when, when the kingdom of God is at hand? When eternity breaks into sinful and lost, finite world that is otherwise without hope, who are you when they ask you that kind of question about your relationship to the Messiah? Because really, when they're asking John the Baptist, who are you, they're not asking about John the Baptist. Sure, they want to know if he poses a threat. They want to know if he's going to be a rabble-rouser like they expect. But really, they're asking about the Messiah. They're asking about whether John the Baptist is claiming to be the Messiah, the anointed one that's sent to bring salvation. Really what they want to know is John's relationship to Jesus. So who are you during Advent? There's a layered question about relationship to the one who comes to bring salvation. It was for John the Baptist, and it is for us. So, because John the Baptist knew clearly who he was and why he was sent here, he answered their question like this. Verse 20. Simply stated, he says, I am not the Christ. He was emphatic in all of his responses. Three times in verse 20, the Apostle John writes that he, he says he confessed. He did not deny, but he confessed, I am not the Christ. John the Baptist could have said at the end of that verse there, he could have just said, I am not the Christ. Uk eimi is the way he would have said it, perhaps. But, but he adds a word, he says, I, me, I am not the Christ. He says very clearly, I know who I am, I know where I've come from, I know why I've been sent. So, so the Jews, who are here with the expectation of a Messiah made after their own image, they pressed further still, and they said, So, John the Baptist, who are you? Verse 21, what then? Are you Elijah? You see, they thought he looked and acted like Elijah the prophet. And it was a well-known Jewish tradition from Malachi chapters 3 and 4 that taught that the appearing of the Messiah would be preceded by an appearance of Elijah. The coming of the kingdom of God would be preceded by an appearance of Elijah. In fact, many today, even Jewish people, leave an empty seat at the table for Elijah, expecting him to come back when they celebrate the Passover Seder once a year. So they ask, are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they go back to the drawing board. Verse 22. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. Give us, give us something, John. Give us something to take back. You know we're here to find out your relationship to the Messiah. So tell us something we can take back. Something they could take back to the authorities in Jerusalem. Now some of the Pharisees 
who had been sent to check me out, began to speak up. They asked, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor a prophet? Sometimes the smartest people can be so blinded by the truth. I looked right at them. And I told them, I baptize with water. But among you stands one you do not even know. I am not worthy to untie his sandals. So they all went away for now. But soon, they will all know. They will all see for themselves the Lamb of God who will take away the sins from the world. For John the Baptist, the answer to the question, who are you, was very simply and clearly taught in the passage from last week and this week, as we saw in Isaiah 40 and 41. He is a herald of good news. Simply stated, that's who he is. Three times in this chapter... He is spoken of as one who who bears witness, one who gives testimony to the coming of the Messiah. So John the Baptist has the singular role of being a herald of good news. There's nothing else in this passage. There's nothing else in what we know of John the Baptist in all of Scripture except to say that he points people to Jesus. He's here. He came to announce that the Word was now made flesh. That the truth that once was far off and only experienced vicariously through an unseen priest once a year behind a veil, that truth is now taking on flesh and bones. The truth that victory over the power of sin and death is available to the people here and now those who freely accept God's gift, that has arrived in the person of Jesus Christ. That is the message of John the Baptist. So his role was the same as all the other people's role. In fact, in this chapter, there are six people, every single one of which is called upon to simply point to Jesus, to be a herald of good news, to announce the coming of the kingdom. No fancy titles and worldly prestige were needed for John the Baptist. These people, especially John, they knew who they were and they knew why they were here. Their lives were about that one purpose of bearing witness to the coming of salvation to the world. So who are you, John the Baptist? I can imagine him standing there in front of the crowds to whom he'd been preaching and teaching, waiting for him to give a response. And as he said, he, he says those words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one crying out 
in the wilderness make straight the way of the Lord. So if you'll remember from last week, Isaiah comes from a context. He's declaring the coming of the Messiah, a context that was the darkest hours of the lives of the people of God up to that point. They were captives. They were exiles in a land not their own, being held away from the promised land in godless Babylon. And they were not able to go back to their promised homeland. So that verse that talks about making straight the way of the Lord has a context. In Isaiah 40, verse 3, that's what he quoted. The original meaning of that verse is that there was a messenger from God who was calling for the preparation of a straight and smooth highway through that wilderness for the people of God so that the exiles in Babylonian captivity could have a direct and easy and smooth journey back to their promised home in Palestine. So friends, Advent, the coming of Christ, Christmas, is about making straight paths for the salvation that only comes through Jesus Christ. Everything else is gravy. Fond memories, warm fuzzies, beautiful candlelight, wreaths, good food, laughing and talking with family and friends is all gravy. And it's not the main dish. The main dish always has been and always will be that the coming of salvation is available now. Advent's not about the beauty of wreaths or candles unless that beauty reminds us of smooth highways that take us back home. So, don't fiddle with parties and presents unless they are infused with pointers of smooth pathways by which we have relationship with God. Advent has always been and always will be the initial announcement of the coming of the kingdom. So is your life in that context with how you think about your plans for Advent? Is your goal to make smooth, straight pathways for knowing God? For yourself? For your families? For people who have rough roads who do not know God? Advent has always been and always will be the announcement of the coming of the kingdom that defines our entire lives. It was that way for John the Baptist, and it is that way for us. So this season, are you? Are, are you planning for Christmas? Is your participation in what we do here during Advent about the opportunity to prepare your heart and others' hearts for the coming of Christ? 
because we die to ourselves daily. We refresh a relationship with Christ every day if we are people who have a smooth road back to Him. Are you getting your kids ready for something more than just presents? Are you preparing your family's hearts for relationship with God? Are, are you using Christmas as another opportunity to build relationship with neighbors, fellow workers, family members, those who are lost and who do not know God? Is Advent another opportunity for you to answer the question of who are you the same way John the Baptist did? I'm a witness. I bear witness to the truth that salvation is here. Do you say that at Advent? Is that your message this Christmas? I bear witness to the truth of salvation being here.